So I have um, um, some questions here. Actually, there are a few more. Um, you can see it's quite a bunch. So I've tried to sort of put them together into about four or five questions, mm, themes. Mm, you know, uh, because I, d- I realise that you know when one's talking a lot, it is quite a stirring thing. I want to also, you know, respect just the amount of verbal stuff that's going on, mainly from me, <laughs> and perhaps give you enough to, you know, uh, you can all get something out of it and um, make use of it during this particular time. Some of them are slightly more of a theoretical or mapping kind of questions so but still quite maybe quite useful some are you know very talking about what the people are actually experiencing which is also very valuable because I'm sure we will share some of these experiences so I'll just take one which was just asking for clarification on something I mentioned yesterday about experiencing particular agitation and irritation over sound and then gradually you know shifting through that to get just to the feeling of the displeasure and then you know and, and then sort of so which which point you know the the the, the whole mind state had simplified it let go of the world people out there it let go of the person of being irritated it just got down to the kind of sense of uh, the reaction to it and then it got down to just the feeling and then that enabled the heart to open so I'll say it again so someone's saying okay um how do you dissolve the person who is angry? How do you dissolve the person who is angry? Um, well, I understand what you're saying, but it's not. You don't really dissolve it. It, it dissolves through really getting to the point. Mm-hmm. So, as we all know, things can be pretty irritating. And then the first thing we begin to sense is, you know. He's irritating, she's irritating, almost this piece of behavior is irritating, or this computer's irritating, you know, something out there is irritating me. And then when it just gets to the point, I am annoyed. And so you just focus on that, and instead of the mind jumping out into other people or things like that, you know, you can't do that, you can't deal with that, you can deal with I am really getting pretty annoyed. Um, so that's the first level of simplification. <laughs> Let go of the thing that's agitating you and just get down to the sense of I am being agitated. This is for meditation. Of course, in other aspects of life, you might want to, you know, calmly address the person or whatever. Uh. <laughs> but maybe this will help us to get to that point where we could calmly... Because right now I'm really pretty angry. And uh, so... Um, what? Let me know. Well, okay allow that so when we say allowing it means it's again a simplification instead of trying to not be angry or 
feeling, why am I angry? I'd have stopped being angry. Allow, allow it. Actually, it's just anger, right? It's just anger. Because a person is, what's that? So it's the angriness. And the, when this is useful, because then we begin to recognize the sense of the person is really an inaccurate holding of the experience. It's not decision, it's a reflex. It's called grasping. <laughs> so is that, and it's a reflex, it's not a decision, it's a reflex. So we get a powerful boom volitional energy and it, it, it's so powerful it's got a magnetic pull if you like and there's clasp and it, out of that the person is born the person arises out of out of the grasping there's a clamp now if we say okay anger is anger then in some ways we're no longer grasping it the grasping has relaxed a little bit and the person begins to fade and it's you know, it doesn't just happen. It often it happens. It kind of you let go a little bit, and it comes back again. You know, I was just anger. But why am I always so angry? I was just okay. Do it again. Righteous <laughs> just anger, just anger. But how long do I have to sit and just you know do it again? You've got to keep going back to it. Just allowing the anger. You get always reactions. And you realise reaction is pretty normal. Like Okay, those reactions, and you know, it's going to go on long, as long as you keep reacting, it's going to continue, but we can bear with that. And eventually, just get down to the anger. And then, okay, and then what's that? Then you sort of start to get more, a bit more useful because when you've got this, let, you know, got the person out of the way, <laughs> then instead of all this, all this kind of how dare they and what should I be and what shouldn't I be and this is because of whammed in the past and all that stuff that's that's dissolved by just allowing anger to be anger right then uh, it makes things much more simple because you don't have this person who then keeps adding more reactions to it now of course anger is a pretty unpleasant experience you know, it's corrosive, it's fiery, it's wild. And so, you know, it takes a bit of time to... Ooh. And so, in fact, it's very difficult to hold it. So you get your body to hold it. Because the heart finds it very difficult to hold without clenching, because it's so painful in the heart. So you've got to get the body there to hold it. What does that mean? It means you feel this kind of fiery sense, heating, to keep expanding your awareness over your whole body, right down to your feet, and sometimes you feel yourself kind of quite shaky with it. And then by doing that steadily, then you find you know, there's a sense of, you know, like the body or the bodily sense, the embodiment can. You know, be there with this. We don't, you know, it can, it can be present with that. Uh, you know, because of course it's it's happening 
through your own nervous system. So your system is designed to to do that. You know, anger is pretty much part of our of our system. You know. It's there to get you to fight off tigers or something. <laughs> so we're built for it. But an angry body is pretty... So we get to the sense of the anger in the body and we keep kind of expanding that, accepting that, ground beneath me, space around me, don't have to get over it. We keep removing these kind of fake responses. And you get into the, the volition, which is this surging. So then as that's happening, and then you begin to relax the perception, which is this terrible thing that they've done to me, what's happened to me. You know, and the self can be, I'm the dumped upon self. <laughs> I'm the despised self. So, well, that the despised self is being despised. It's not angry, it's despised. So, that's the foundation for it. But, you know, the crushed self is not angry, it's busy being crushed. So, in the volitional sense is another one, something else. We just go to the volition, pushing, rushing through. And then that's the kind of means that, you know, it jumps out of that perception of you know, the left out person, the betrayed person, the victimized person. You know, okay, well, who's that? Where, where is she? Where is he? Let's see if we can sense that one. And if you acknowledge it, allow that. It's sort of again, it's strange. It seems to lose its its um, potency. Most of these things just fade by themselves through the power of awareness, fully conscious awareness. And so what often happens is this, the victimized self is something we're not. It's kind of there and yet we don't really, what are, who are you? Where is it? It's just a, it's just a sense, it's not a person at all. And then relax. And then the volition running through the system. And then we come to, then the person in various ways, is being gradually released. So we still have this volitional surge and the feeling of it. A disagreeable feeling. So then the heart tries to get away from that or block it. Then it really takes quite a bit of you know, patient practice and opening the body to say, just kind of, you, it's already in there. You can't shut it out because it's in there. <laughs> right? Otherwise you wouldn't be feeling it. So you can't, you know, do that to stop it happening because it's already in. You know, now, <laughs> right? So imagine you have a, you know, something stuck in your, like an arrow stuck in your hand. You tightening around it isn't going to, defend you from it, but if it opens, <laughs> maybe it drops out. Yeah. And so, 
Pain is part. Everybody gets this. Everybody gets this. Pain is hurt. Everybody gets whatever it is, you know. And then opening to that. Opening to that. And in that sense, the person who is, you know, the one person who in the world who's being hurt. <laughs> and he comes, everybody's hurt. <laughs> and then, oh, and it sort of moves more into compassion as the heart opens from this selfness, yeah? So self, it's not one thing, it's several things. There's the self which is the actor who's going to, you know, do something. The self is also the recipient, the one who is who is affected by something, yeah. And the self is also the grip of me, you know. So in a way, we begin to see all these as particular phenomena, rather than actually a person. That's the best I can do with that. <laughs> Uh, you know, it sounds so clear and logical, of course, in the heat of the moment. It's not clear or logical at all. So it often can take quite a few hours or days, <laughs> you know, or months or years even. <laughs> Particularly if you've got a kind of residual one that's grudge or wound, uh, that's been there for years. And, it's, and, you, and you kind of sense that and feel that wounded person who was dismissed, abused, discarded, betrayed or whatever. Oh, there she is, you know, and then, okay. That's that. Let's just allow that, receive that. And it's being heard. We're not adopted. So we, we accept it, we don't adopt it. No, accepting it is accepting the presence of that. Adopting it means, oh, I'm a really wounded person. I've always been like this. You know, people really dumped me. Something, you know, found me a trouble. Then you really know more narrative. We don't adopt it, but we accept it. You know, and then, and then, you know, acceptance is a sense of heart opens, feeling, and really the heart opening begins in the heart and, and then continues into the body since your body sort of relaxes around that and uh, then without getting rid of it that that opening tends to support the, the gentle dissolving of the person the person is always born out of a constriction of some kind a reflex constriction, not a decision, but a reflex constriction. Because pain is something we want to, we try to close away. But actually that locks it inside us. Inside chitta. It's pretty useful to even, you know, try to take note of that. I tell you, it's not a logical process, but you, you bounce around these experiences for hours, days, weeks, years, and so forth, uh, and my my sense is eventually this is kind of what you come come down to. <laughs> you know, something just has to, uh, you know, for, receive. You know, 
the damaged person as a, as a chitta experience, still in the chitta. So that opening to it allows it to drop out the emotion with it. The volitional response to it, okay, that's also chitta, that's chitta in its active aspect. And then we get steamed up and righteous and so on. Uh, And then that one also has to be kind of allowed, accepted, but not adopted, as this is. Who's this? You know, what's this? This kind of fire energy that we all have. Okay, then feel it in the body. As you open to that, feel it in the body. The person dissolves and it's just the energy. And if you handle the energy in your body, the energy begins to, you know, expand and dilute. the body kind of, kind of soaks it up, and uh, you know we may very well have absolutely good cause to feel angry. So we're not going to squash it, so we can all be kind of nice and docile, and so on, because actually properly handled, it makes you strong. Properly handled, it means look, you know, so then you're strong. And then you can then you can return and say, "I need to have a word with you." Okay, this kind of behaviour has this effect. I don't accept it. So I'd like you to know that, and perhaps you don't understand it, or but like you hear your point of view. But I'm not accepting this anymore. That's not angry. That's strong. <laughs> and when you when you speak your strength, you see when you when you come from your strength as embodied. That's powerful because it's not like yeah 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 you know and then they go oh, well yeah 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 <laughs> and so on as you might have noticed <laughs> well you know you shouldn't be like well you shouldn't be like this so when you're strong and calm it goes in okay gotcha you know thank you. Well, mm. <laughs> let's. Well, it kind of does lead on. Um, I guess it's something talking about pain and and, and um, hard time relaxing in daily life and strong pain, difficult to access subtle inner energy flow because of, there is pain, strong pain that persists and can't be changed by changing posture. And something is so unpleasant that mindful observation seems impossible. Okay, so, yeah. Mm. Remember, you know, I've tried to not use the word meditation too much, though clearly it's a very standard term, but really working with, uh, you know, the the experiences that happen. so this isn't necessarily you don't have necessarily going to kind of resolve this when sitting still. Some of it you may, some of it you may move. Sometimes chanting helps. Yeah, 
in other words, because chanting, for example, definitely, you know, is, is a conscious bringing up and, you know, energy, getting an energy flow going. So in other words, you could say that's a tactic of substitution. So really in pain here. So, okay, just put my attention into moving around and chanting or standing and chanting. Or, you know, and then the energy, getting some energy flowing through the chanting or something like that. Once you get some energy flowing, then you may be able to get that fluidity to, to turn towards the physical area and uh, pain isn't something you really solve um, you know even the Buddha said this you could only really get out of pain by entering into some pretty refined states of, of absorption and the Buddha was pretty awesome meditator and but he said you know whenever he came out of these refined states he said the body really really uncomfortable and hurts and sometimes he'd say you give the talk because my back is killing me I'm going to go and lie down <laughs> so yeah there's a certain we don't really get over it but we can perhaps no longer feel so emotionally trapped by it by the reactions that occur when we freeze to try to stop it happening or we get agitated trying to how can I cure it and then your energy is tight or energy is fretful you know? but if you can get a energy to be mobile and fluid you know, through doing something else like qigong, chanting then that fluidity actually can flow into the body you know? and then there's some possibility that something in your body will be a little more restful and relaxed a little more fluid so then we can sense that pain and it's just the particular area you know, which is occupying maybe I don't know 10% of my body and I'm able to sense there's 90% of my body that's not in that I'll just maybe go to that. <laughs> or at least I can sense the pain and instead of tightening up around it, I can start, even, you can even talk to it. Hello, how are you doing? You know, some, I mean, emotionally talk to it. So you, what you want to avoid is lock, trapped, locked. And that's not good. And that you can, you can do something about. Pain you can only do so much about physical pain heart pain you can you can release physical pain you, you can't so relaxing I have a hard time softening my eyes in daily busy life I almost close them to relax the muscles around the eyes but too dangerous particularly if you're driving a car recognize not cl closing the eyes But um, you know, once you get perhaps more thoroughly fluent in, I don't know, in, in embodiment, you realize it is a connected. The main thing is you get the connections. The body is a connected system. Yeah. So and then it, it's like it, it sends signals. 
connected. So it's all connected. The signals can travel through the body. Now, this is well, you know, clearly the case. We get a sound, which is only a sound, and the whole body freezes up. It's driving, you know, the signal of the sound, the abrasive sound, runs into the body, you know, and then the whole body tightens up. Um, you stick a something in your a thorn in your in your thumb, whole body goes ooh, tightens up, you know, even though the thorn's only in your thumb. Right now, working the other way around, when it is tight, we say, okay, the eyes feel tight. What about the foot? Can you relax your foot? What about your hand? Can you relax your hand? Can you roll your wrists? Can you can you get your breathing relaxed? You know? So you start to, you know, generate and the relax signal. And, and let that spread through the body and that can help these tighter areas to pick up the tune as it were everything is connected you know as, as is the case generally when an area is tight it kind of separates itself from the rest of the body you know it, it, it so when your shoulder separates itself so mostly the main thing is to get the connection there's a tight area, and then, okay, so that extends so far, it's about my eyes, and then what about my cheeks, mouth, okay, it's loose, and just sweeping through, so you really kind of welcome the tightness into the, into the more open area. Because the tightness is unpleasant, the default is exclude it, so then we tighten up more, <laughs> because it's unpleasant. So you've got to stop excluding it. So it enters the kaya, the whole collection of body, and the rest of the team are saying, we're relaxing, we're relaxing. <laughs> and then the eyes go, oh, oh, right, we're relaxing. <laughs> so something perhaps a little more, hmm, another level. What is the difference between awareness and consciousness and chitta? What is it that moves from life to life? Well, just thought just to say, the whole thing, really the Buddha's presentation is everything is really dynamic. So there's no such thing as a thing, including chitta. It's not really a thing. So when clearly these people are experiencing what they're experiencing, they can perhaps notice this sense of something that's kind of pretty much, you know, it's affected, a sense of it being affected, trembling, then it runs off, shakes around, and there's this experience, that kind of experience. And it rises up, it gets angry, and it feels joy, and a sense of joy happens through it. So it's all, you know, what would you sum that up as? We call it chitta. <laughs> you know, and it's also the sense, um, you know, when it's calm, you know, it's calm, and when it's attuned to ethical concern, oh, it's sensitive. So it's a sensitive, effective, responsive experience. 
that it can be affected negatively, confused, respond crazy or wisely. So is it jitta. So now consciousness is somewhat different, although unfortunately jitta is sometimes translated as consciousness. Um, consciousness in English is a pretty, you know, amorphous term. It can people all kinds of ways of explaining it. But in Buddhism, you have vijnana. Vijnana is quite different from citta. And vijnana is associated with... Um, so if we say citta is, is the movement of awareness, the movement which can be quite subtle, calm, or mobile. Yeah? It's a movement of awareness. Consciousness is a location of awareness. So now I'm in visual consciousness. My awareness is a visual phenomena. Yeah? Auditory consciousness. My awareness is of auditory phenomena. So it just places where awareness is. Yeah? And there's the six bases of that. When you get into the mind consciousness or mano vijnana, then, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of levels of it. It can be a kind of the consciousnesses of the sense realm, which is, guess what most of us are experiencing, and then it can be refined to the consciousness of something like energetic, subtle levels of consciousness, very refined levels of consciousness, yeah, you know. Extremely refined levels of consciousness is all mind consciousness. So you've got, you know, various locations and then within the mind consciousness you've got a whole layers of different locations you can, that, that can be placed there. In any of those locations, there's jitta. <laughs> so, being located in the visual consciousness, one is affected by visual phenomena. But, um, you know, but essentially, jitta primarily takes the mind consciousness as its location. And the mind consciousness summarizes all the other senses and says, this visual experience is called a room full of people. <laughs> it's not just colours and lights and shapes, it's a room full of people. Now that's the mind consciousness. So mostly, that's very handy. It kind of interprets everything into this so-called reality. Right? I'm in a room full of people. But actually, if I'm really honest about it, well, I don't know about that. I see all kinds of sights, but they could be androids, they could be <laughs> hallucinations, they could be, you know, just um, ethereal spirits. It doesn't, I can't see where they have any backs. They look, they've got fronts, but they don't have any backs. Am I sure those are people? Or are they just kind of inflatable, very carefully done dummies? I don't know for sure. What I do know is I can see these things. <laughs> so the mind then creates a working reality out of 
these visual or tactile data so it sums them up and that's, that's, the, act, that's the act of consciousness Chitta is sitting within that, that that location of these senses sitting in that and you know, it's kind of it, it's the one that directs consciousness it's got the ability to push you know it says okay you know, I don't want to look at that anymore look at this so it's volitional and it's also interpretative so it senses things it goes, oh, it feels like this to me because it feels as it affected it remembers it has perceptions that thing out there reminds you of a human being Boom. You know, so that's a perception so all that's chitta's work within consciousness sometimes it gets it wrong that wasn't a person that was a dummy you know <laughs> it just gets it wrong but it, it does um, acts as the interpretive um, center of what consciousness brings to us and consciousness doesn't have much choice in the matter it's just pretty passive chitta drives it drives it around this means actually uh, through cultivating chitta you can you know shift the mind consciousness to quite subtle levels because chitta is the driver of it now awareness is in all of this (laughs) it's a very uh, blanket term it often doesn't stand apart from because it's really this is what awareness in its responsive mode is jitta awareness in its location is consciousness and uh, rather like we might say you know water so water in a certain area is called a lake water in another area is called a river water in another area is called a bottle of water when you heat it up it becomes steam freeze it becomes ice and it's always water so awareness is rather like that it, it can depending on what forces or what containers it's, it's that gives it its characteristic but one of the features of awareness it's always reflective rather like you know if you have a lake if it's very still you get a very clear reflection if it's all sort of been throwing rocks in it you get a very shattered reflection but it still reflects and then the stillness or the shattering is the result of chitta if chitta is calm then the reflection is very still if chitta is agitated the reflection is kind of you know sort of shattered and, and, and patchy but it's still reflective this is why or how you know one is able to um, get a handle on all this because you know we can of course in the most of us have got a bit of stir happening and water's moving a bit so we can get into the movements and 
and get whatever reactions we have to the movements, but you'd also focus on the reflective aspect of it, just like the water. So I'm aware of anger. Anger is the shifting movement, but there's awareness of that. In fact, you're always aware of anger because you can say, I'm angry. That means you're aware of it. Yeah. But when you're being aware of being angry, most of your energy is going into angry and reactive. So, you say, so we talk about allowing anger. It doesn't mean you approve of it. It means you're actually heightening the ability to be aware of it. Right? Because now I'm not just passively angry and caught up in it. I'm sort of, I know anger. There is knowing of anger. So what is it that knows that? That's all awareness, you see. And you've now made it more conscious. So there's that avenue from afflictive states to a place where there's dispassion. And so chitta then inclines towards that reflective place rather than the active place. So you're much more, you're much more, there's the centering much more in the awareness of the phenomenon than the engagement with the phenomenon. This is really, really fundamental meditation practice, is you know, that sense of disengage without dismissing or shutting down. So it's aware of breathing, you know, aware of thinking, and so we can return to the awareness, a little more gathering into that, the energy of the thinking begins to soften because we're not putting energy into it. In that sense, but it's not shutting it off. So you can then, as the energy of the thinking or the anger begins to soften, then you can, right, now I can really look into that. What's that about? When it was really fiery, I couldn't look into it. It was just surging. Now I've stepped back a bit. I can then incline my awareness in again from a more proactive place, like, what's this about? And then your awareness becomes investigation or sampajanya, alertness, dhamma which is also awareness. <laughs> you see, so it's how these, how this stuff fluctuates and moves in the dynamic. And then it can change. So person's asking about pure awareness. Well, um, you know, the reflection in a muddy pond is pretty much quite similar to the reflection in a clear pond, isn't it? It's a reflection. It's still. But um, it's not completely purified. So we look towards the purer and begin to draw into that and gradually... You know, the pond, the mud, settles. Yeah. So I don't think you can kind of start with pure awareness. You start with, it's a bit purer than it was before. <laughs> and you're inclined to in that way, and there's a steady purification. It's really, in, in, at least in the scriptures, it's described as a purification of citta. Chitta Visuddhi, Chitta Visuddhi. So then, what is being purified is how we're affected, 
how we're, you know, the affective sense is no longer so threatened or challenged or reactive or wild. It's purified and it purifies that quality of chitta that becomes more open, equanimous, calm, peaceful, clear. Then that's awareness being purified. So some other people are asking about blockages and energy work, how to handle physical blockages and constrictions in the body. Um, What is the place of energy management or allowing energy to flow in the body? Is that on the path towards wisdom? What's wisdom anyway? And is energy, is that love or anger energy or is breath energy that fuels our heart's emotions, creative energy, sexual energy? So a lot about energy. And um, yeah, well energy is, uh, if you're alive, that's energy. Um, so you know, it's everything really. As I was saying earlier, you have active energy and there's receptive energy. So even receptivity is in energy. It means a certain tingling vitality. And then that moves. It can move every time jitter activates, energy moves. So we get angry, energy moves. We get happy, energy moves. We get loving, energy moves. So it's not, and then we get sexual energy move through sexual perceptions and channels and so forth and it's all there and sometimes like uh, it gets blocked when it gets blocked it gets tight and hard and uh, there's an emotional closure so as I was suggesting with relaxing energy is always somewhere you know, and it's perceivable somewhere so you, you try to find out where there is some degree of energy that feels trustable. So breathing in and out is considered generally pretty good. It's not fantastic, but it's, it's pretty reliable. The energy that's flowing with that, however it's flowing, you may have restrictive breath, you may have asthma, but you're still breathing otherwise you're dead <laughs> so you know we, we may not have it perfectly fluid all over the body we say well there's some aspect of this energy happening to some degree in this experience and breathing it may be there that's generally considered useful and then there's also we might say the quality of Loving kindness has got an energy to it. It's not just an idea, it's an energy of warming, sharing, it's a trustworthy energy. So these are two common skillful energy forms. So then ideally if we can put them together as if we are breathing our loving kindness or generosity or relaxation, you know, through wherever there's a difficulty. And we must also remember the energy is quite sensitive, so it should not be accompanied by the desire to get rid of something, because that's an energy too. So you can't be kind of 
if I give this enough loving kindness, it'll go away. Well, that's because <laughs> that's carrying an energy of aversion, isn't it? And so that's not that's not fair. Okay, loving kindness means, oh, wonderful, you know, it's loving, it's fine, and okay, and then how far can it go before I can't do that? <laughs> so you go as far as you can with that sense of it's okay, this is fine, I can be with this up to the area at the bottom of my throat, and there's a stuckness there, so I just take it to that level, and this is as far as we can get today, okay. Uh, contentment, mudita, appreciation, there's some freedom. So this really amplifies that energy as we experience contentment, appreciation of the goodness that there is. And so that strengthens it. Thus strengthened it may in fact begin to move a little further into these restricted areas. Uh, and you, so you play with it, you span an area, and generally you don't go into it, you, you go around it, um, you widen around it, you sort of in, create a friendly space around it and invite it in, listen to it, and, you know, so you're making friends with it, uh, and see so that that sometimes gives you a sense of, oh, it's got the permission to be there. It's no longer being forced out or rejected. It might start to, you know, do something, say something, have an emotion, or even a sort of shift. And that's how you that's how you practice. So some things are very stuck, and uh, maybe a story of somebody who's. Working as a craniosacral treatment, and, you, and this person, you know, that's when you lie down and somebody puts a hand on your feet or your head, and they energy, energy, then their energy sort of moves through you, and it has a purifying effect. So this person, and she was rigid as a board, <laughs> you know, so you put hand on the feet, nothing happening, hands on the shoulders, nothing happening, moves an arm up and down rigid as a board and he looks at her face she's got her eyes wide open and her mouth's kind of sticking out like that and look at his face he's completely frozen he's like what's this you know so he does all his things so he looks at it kind of looks like a fish so he says, uh, what does it feel like to be a fish? <laughs> and the eyes flicker. He goes, oh, what's it feel like to be a fish? And the eyes start moving. And he says, where are you? As a fish, where are you moving? And then it's an explosion of grief. You know, just completely exploding with grief. So they sort of, you know, get together and kind of look after this person, take them home, get their friends, care for them and so forth, you know. And then, uh, 
So they have these sessions, you see. So the week later she comes back to the session, to the session, everybody goes and tries to pretend they don't notice, you know. Like, okay. She comes and sits down. Anybody interested in where I've been? <laughs> so, yeah, sure. <laughs> so she gives her story. See, and her story was when she was um, younger. She went to the beach with a couple of children, a little boy, a little girl. And she's there playing on the beach. She's sitting with them. And she's got this, looks at this book, looks at a book from one end. Where's the little boy gone? And he's in the water. So she rushes into the water, trying to get a little boy out. And she gets him, drags him out, cardiorespiration, oh, he's dead. And she goes, ah, the guilt, the pain, guilt, pain. So she's completely, life completely falls apart. Totally shattered. Grief, regret, guilt, the whole thing. And uh, so that, and she goes, various years of therapy and so forth, trying to get through it. And then what was occurring, the body felt the only way to be with her son was to be a fish. <laughs> then she could be with him in the water. So it just went into that. Uh, yeah. Body went to that just because she wanted to be with her son. And so, you know, you can say all the various things he was doing, you know, on an energetic level, seemingly, you know, skilled, you know, therapist, most important thing was just to say, well, how are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Not try to change you, but how are you? How's it feel to be where you are? And then the thing, it's been acknowledged and it starts to move. So remember that. So simple. That's what we call love. Yeah. Okay. A few other bits. So when you're stuck in your head, somebody feels this, they're trapped in their head. Um, you can't feel the breathing. Well, forget about the breathing. Just get to walking and make sure your whole body walks. So it's not just your feet, your hips walk, your whole body walks, just like you're swimming. Get into your body, first of all. Don't concern yourself with your breathing. That comes when you're, when you're in your body. Right, so first of all, get into your body in a way like walking. Uh, so, and really relax the observing head. Just get into the enjoying body. So just you know, like walking along really walking down the beach feeling really good <laughs> and if you practice like that then you sense oh, <laughs> yeah. so that's really important to cultivate quite simply really restraint of the senses this is very important many respects now what it doesn't mean is is a kind of censorship uh, that seeing things is wrong something like that 
But we realise that energy can pour out. There's nothing wrong with the senses. It's the pouring out, compulsive and reckless pouring out of energy through the senses. So we're kind of woo, launching out through the eyes to desirable things. So then, you know, and it, so you're sort of losing yourself because the energy's moved out through the eyes, or most commonly moved out through the thinking mind. You know, so woo, we're really out there. All the energy's gone there. So we want to, no, we want, don't want it out there. We want to collect it. So this somewhere all, it's called <laughs> restraint. And so you're collecting, not throttling, but collecting it. So you just come back here. The energy. And it's important to cultivate that. And you can do that. You see an object, and you can feel yourself lunging out to just find where your body is where your feet are where your back is and draw your energy back to that even just a little bit and then what you're doing is beginning to uh, work against the glow of wow that's a really lovely thing come back and it's just once you move your energy back a little bit the glow subsides the power of it, move it back a bit further, close subsides a bit more. And then when it's gathered, you think this is really good. That thing, so what? <laughs> so what really it's about energy, you see, energy gives the glow that makes things attractive. If we withdraw it to where it's truly based, then that glow turns into a an energetic strength and warmth. This is why we would bring it all back home because otherwise it goes out and it's just wasted. So someone's showing deliberate aggression towards one. How to deal with this? Withdraw your energy. Same thing. Uh, I mean, clearly there's all kinds of social strategies you can undertake um, to not interest in you. Thank you another time, another place, or whatever, or why are you so aggressive, what's your problem, <laughs> you know, so you can do these kind of strategies rather than just sit there and get bashed around by it, um, so either of these means you, you're finding your strength, and the, so either your strength is just to go back from the sensory input to the spine or the central axis of the body, Stay there, withdraw, withdraw. And you, you know. So the heart is then held carefully by the strength of the upright axis. Unless you've got to really hold it carefully against the sense of lashing back or reacting. You know, reaction is useless. No, no good at all. However justifiable, it doesn't do doesn't do the work you want it to do. So you just collect it, and you're not reacting, but you're not accepting, and you're not participating in their drama. You know, when you have that, they, they might even get it by then. The message, 
you're not interested in that. You're not care, you don't care what they do because you're not participating in it. The Buddha said, you know, if you somebody you know insults you, it's like somebody gives you something and you don't pick it up. Is it theirs or yours? Well, they don't pick it up. It's still theirs, isn't it? So he says, if you give me your anger, I don't pick it up. You can have it back. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, from our place of strength, we don't mind for us to say, well, you know, it sounds like you're pretty upset. What's your problem? So it's a, it's a response rather than a reaction. Okay, a little more technical stuff. Difference in chitta and dhammas. This is the four establishments of mindfulness. When there's this presentation of four establishments where mindfulness should be placed, body, feeling, chitta, dhammas. Chitta is this affective sense. We call it heart. Most often it's translated as mind, but I think heart is probably a bit more useful um, because it's their emotive experiences. And so that's that. That's the base. Dhammas is a word that refers to the particular phenomena that arise as jitta is activated, such as joy, anger, uh, mindfulness, uh, clarity, you know, so or mindfulness or energy or you know hindrances or enlightenment factors. So the particular phenomena, subtle phenomena, heart phenomena that arise as jitta is activated. So then, then, so two different things. Someone's asking, what is jhana? And, um, it's a, it's a kind of, um, topic. <laughs> because it's, it has, it's used slightly differently in the suttas, the early teachings, than in subsequent. It's a long tradition. Buddhist tradition. So you've got something that's early teachings. Um, don't use this word. Buddha uses the word jhana, and then later evolutions of the tradition also use the word. And there's a bit of a discrepancy between the original use and the later use, which makes it rather complicated. But uh, in the suttas, if we go back to that. It, the word means to absorb. And the Buddha, um, when he gave his exhortation, said, you know, here are roots of trees, here are lonely places. Jayati bhikkave means to absorb bhikkhus. And really get into it. Make much of it, you know. Don't distract yourself with other things. Just really get into this. This is for your welfare. You know, so it's a general sense of really get into it. <laughs> Don't... Don't waver, don't distract yourself, don't spin off, just really get into this. Yeah? And, uh, you know, but he also used it somewhat humorously as there are different kinds of wrong jhanas, he said, so rather like a pig eating, eating its food, that's, he gets totally absorbed, that's a wrong jhana. <laughs> so he uses a series of and then so he refers to the person who's absorbed in the five hindrances. They call these uh, 
wrong jhanas, you're completely absorbed, but it's the wrong stuff. So it's used as a kind of much more general sense, but then it's also used in slightly more refined sense as particular absorptions that arise through the skillful um, process of mindfulness on, on a theme. And it's associated then with the removal of certain distractive qualities, we call them hindrances. So as mindfulness you know, is embodied and these hindrances, you know them, ill will, sense desire and so forth, are gradually you know, filtered out or cleansed or discarded, the mind successively unifies, becomes rather than distracted and jagged, the energy unifies, unifies, and this unification is called samadhi. And uh, that feels pretty good. Uh, so then, when it, it's really quite settled into that freedom from the hindrances, the energy is quite settled, then the chitta sits into that, comfortable with that, and absorbs it, the state of freedom from hindrances and it becomes associated with ease and joy or rapture a kind of happy state and the Buddha said this will call this the first jhana the first level of it of skillful jhana and it's associated with placing your attention on your chosen theme say breathing uh, Okay, and then receiving it, sensing it, and just keeping there. So that's the action. The energy is just doing this, sensing, receiving. And as I've suggested, the vichara, the receiving aspect, is where you get the absorption. Yeah. Because to place it, that's that's just the. But to to get it, you have to absorb, which means very receptive, and really taking your time to linger, and dwell in and enjoy. Then the mind begins to soak up some of this uh, agreeable energy. And the Buddha says, as that's experienced, every part of your body becomes suffused. So it's very much an embodied experience, suffused with this sense of comfort, ease, happiness. And you can, it can refine further. And you can look all this stuff up if you like. I don't want to go into it now. But that's, that's essentially it, right? Um, unfortunately, we have this word concentration, and which for most people is associated mostly with a very firm placing Fixing, placing, 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 facing, fixing. You know, whether you're concentrating on technical piece of work, you know, uh, you know, or something like or focusing on the breathing, so fixing, fixing, fixing. And but that isn't really samadhi. Um, Samadhi is not something you do, it's something that happens. You don't do, the Buddha says, he never says concentrate on anything. 
check it out. It never says concentrate on the breath. It says be mindful of it. So it's not an action. It's the result of the work of mindfulness and purification. The mind enters jhana. See? So that's different, isn't it? You don't get it. You enter it. And it so you enter into a collected state. I mean, the heart gives itself into that. Trusts it, feels comfortable, just gives itself into that, and then it discards other things. So that's that's the process. And you know, when you use the word jhana, this is chan, which became zen. So this word is from jhana, chan in Chinese, zen in um, Japanese. So this is, and often they're just kind of not concentrating on anything, just vast, open, empty, you know. <laughs> yeah, what are you concentrating on? We're concentrating on the nothing. Something like that. So, because that's just, that in a way, is, because the jitter doesn't, it's not concentrating on anything, it's just absorbing into itself. You know, so we often we use an object, breathing, but the breathing refines to a subtle energy, and then you enter into it. Now, in later traditions, in, certainly in, in Theravada Buddhism, it became a little more abstracted by focusing on things called kasinas, which is like a visual disc. And the idea was you you focus on this disc for many, probably repeatedly for quite a period of time, till eventually when you close your eyes you can still see it. It leaves an after image. Then you focus on this after image until eventually you get this little kind of pure impression in the mind like a little bead of light in your mind and you focus on that you do that and you enter jhana and um, you probably do Um, but there's nothing like it in the suttas and it's quite disembodied it's more hypnotised the difference being not just technical but then when in the sutta jhana you get the sense in which you can actually the jitta can move so the buddha says you know you can move through jhanas and in fact you know he says when you get to this very refined jhana you can then direct the jitta can direct itself to immaterial states or it can turn towards the deathless Okay, so a sense of yeah, it's not it's still it's not frozen. But in uh, this other kind of jhana, you're definitely locked in until it ends, because you sort of like a hypnagogic effect. And so because of that that interpretation, people say, well, this is kind of really amazing, but it's not really much good. Finally, because you don't get any wisdom out of it. You know, state in state and it's nice, but then you come out of it and you break where you were. So don't bother with jhana. In fact, do this thing called insight. And you can get enlightened nibbana through insight. Skip the jhanas, do the insight thing. So you got that thing happening. So then people say, jhana, don't jhana. Um, which is kind of sad, really. <laughs> uh, um, because the Buddha 
well, if we look at original teachings, the Buddha doesn't mention insight that much at all. And he always says you keep insight and calm moving together. And you get the impression that, you know, liberation depends upon some kind of jhana. He says it depends at least on first jhana because then your energy is collected, you can see things deeply, properly. And um, yeah, then it can develop into these very refined states of consciousness. And the Buddha says this is all something he knows, but this is but the deathless is the turning that's kept, that is made possible because the mind is not hooked up to thinking, sense data, compulsive actions, karmic things. It's, it's it's removed from that, therefore it's able to turn freely in terms of wisdom. You know, where does suffering cease? Where does this stress arise? Where's clinging? These are the important issues. Which you know, the sense of jhana as a platform where that can be um, properly accomplished. Not that you can't work on these things outside of it. Of course you work on it all the time. Well, Ideally, and then so as you as you say, oh, well, again, the jhana sounds great. Man, careful! I wouldn't <laughs> do that either. I mean, what you do is you work on the hindrances. You work on the hindrances. You work on the the psychology of the hindrances. You work on the sense of I can get something. You work on the reactions of anger. You work on the confusion of conceptual thought the way it distracts you you work on the hindrances and the sources of the hindrances you work on those you know in any level in terms of your speech your action and so forth you keep working on those hindrance tendencies you don't need to be that refined to notice you've got a hindrance <laughs> so you work on those and you work on those you know in meditation outside of meditation through your morality, through your sense of strength, you work on it, work, you keep working on it, and the results are that when you, if you do it carefully, results when you see, your mind is more collected, yeah, and it does settle a bit deeper, yeah. So, you know, all this is going in the right direction. So, and then the jhana happens really dependent upon the removal of the hindrances I think is the best way to look at it because you know those and they're painful and they can be withdrawn from and the sources of them the ignorance and the craving that supports them can be cooled to the point where you can look into it and then your mind will settle deeper but if you go into a retreat saying, oh, I'll get jhana, I'm going to get jhana, I'm going to get jhana, again, line this to get jhana, you're going to get yourself in a right state. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's enough tonight.